to come back to what somebody had mentioned before, I'm going to move on to the second part of the talk now and just talk a little bit about vegan rights and how you can use vegan rights in your advocacy. So um, I think it's important because when we're out there advocating for better provision for vegans, which obviously makes life easier for us, makes life easier for our families, but perhaps more importantly for people coming behind us who we're telling to go vegan, you know, the easier we can make it for them, the better. Um, and you can use vegan rights in your advocacy, in, in those sorts of negotiation situations. And I'm saying we, because I'm assuming everyone here is already vegan, because this is a vegan festival. But if you're not, then please do go vegan, because it, it is a matter of justice. It's a matter of justice for non-human animals. And as Patrick said, we can all do it. And we're here to help you. We've got a Go Vegan Scotland stall. We're all volunteers. We've come up here for that purpose. Come to the stall after the talk. Tell us what's holding you back, what's standing in your way, and we'll do our best to help you. So vegans have rights under international human rights law, under European law, and under the UK law. And why are we talking about that firstly? Why, when we're here to try and help non-human animals, are we going back to talk about humans? Is that not once again making it all about us and redirecting that focus away from the non-human animals? Well, I think there is a risk in that, and I think we need to be careful that we don't do that. So when we are using these rights that we have, I think we should be very consistent and clear. Uh, the reason we have these rights is because veganism is not a diet, it's because veganism is a moral conviction that's, that's very important to us. And when you keep bringing it back to that, that veganism is the moral conviction that it's wrong to use and kill non-human animals, then you keep the focus on the, the, the persons that, that should be the focus, the non-human animals. So. I've set out a bit more detail on the slide, exploiting and killing non-human animals, it's only going to end when we, as a society, stop demanding it. It only happens because we demand it. And that's why we don't go out and protest against businesses or against farmers, but we speak to individuals about their consumption. When we stop, it will stop. And veganism is the rejection of that exploitation and that killing. It's our refusal to support it and participate in it. And it's our way of living in recognition of the rights of animals. So by protecting vegans and by ensuring that we're able to live according to that conviction, we're helping vegans, we're helping veganism, we're helping veganism grow, but most importantly, ultimately, we're helping non-human animals because it's the way we live in recognition of their rights. They can be very powerful tools, potentially, for vegan advocates because by referring to vegan rights, we can really assist in our negotiations with public institutions, and with employers, with hospitals and schools and so on. And each one of those conversations is a really good opportunity to talk to people about veganism in a way that you might not really get the chance to do in other contexts. It's a chance to say to them, look, I'm asking you to, to provide for me, and I'm not doing that because I'm on a fad diet. I'm not doing that because I've chosen to live in a restrictive way. I'm doing that because I have a moral conviction, and I'm asking you to respect that, and it's my right that you do respect that. So it's a perfect opportunity for raising awareness about what veganism really is. And that's why I've put one of our restaurant cards there, because I think it's important that when we're out there doing that sort of promotion 
when we're, when we're out with our friends, when we're eating in non-vegan places and we're saying, thank you for having vegan options. I think it's important that we don't just say that because that could mean thanks for having plant-based options and following a plant-based diet and it was great that you had options. That's not what we're saying. We're saying to them, I'm vegan and I have a moral conviction that it's wrong to use animals and so I need there to be non-animal products and you have those options and so I'm thanking you. And that's why we say on it, stop the demand, end the violence because mm. we want the, the waiter, the waitress, we want the, the cafe owner to, to read that card and to think to themselves, hang on, what, what do they mean? I, I, I think of veganism as a diet, what's this violence all about? And then hopefully they go to our website and they learn a bit more about it as well as providing uh, better provision. So <clears throat> rights issues for vegans generally arise when we're dependent on others because when we have control over our day-to-day -day lives we're generally able to make choices that are vegan and um, taking again account of what was said previously by the question um, we do recognise that people are in individual circumstances and our stalls are about as accessible as it gets. You know, we're out on the street where anyone can approach us and so we're not just making ourselves available to any one particular community. And we get a whole range of different ages and life experiences of people coming to the stalls. We recognise that people have different situations that they're dealing with and we try and account for that in our conversations with them. But some people are dependent on others. So for example, if you're living with a disability, you might be generally depending on others. If you're a child, you're relying on your parents. When we are in hospitals as patients, we rely on them. Even when we're outpatients of the NHS, we rely on them to some extent to provide us with medications. Pupils in schools, if we're inmates in a prison, if we're applying for state benefits, or increasingly if we're dependent on food banks, um, and as an employees, to some extent, we're dependent on others. And we ran a, Go Vegan Scotland ran a survey, I think it was earlier this year, or the end of last year, to find out what kind of issues vegans in Scotland are experiencing still. And the results showed that it's still very, very patchy. So it's kind of a lottery, which hospital you end up going into. Some of them have full vegan menus, which is impressive. And others don't even know what vegan actually means and will literally say, no, we have nothing, we can't provide for you. To the extent that there was one respondent who had been in hospital for either three or four days and just wasn't able to eat, and she was very ill. Um, and that was the position that she was put in. It's the same in, in schools. Um, it's again very patchy, some provide well, some don't. And oftentimes it will depend if there was a vegan in that school in previous years, and maybe their family did a bit of work to make sure that they were catered for. It can arise in various situations in employment contexts. So for example, the employer might say, you have to wear this safety equipment or these boots and they're made from animal skin. And that's just their standard issue, take them or leave them, or you must take them back because it's health and safety. Um, or you might be asked to participate in a milk run where you're asked to spend your own money buying milk that's been taken from cows, even although that's against your convictions. And we even know of a situation where somebody was applying for, applying for employment benefit and was told that they had to apply for a job in a slaughterhouse, even although they were vegan and that was clearly against their convictions. And that, these things clearly shouldn't be happening. 
and they wouldn't be happening if you were to put the situation into a religious context because there's a general awareness in the UK that, um, that you can't treat people with religious beliefs in that way. But what we don't have at the moment is a general awareness that veganism stands on the same footing. So we have the main right that we have is freedom of thought, conscience and belief. And again, that's under international human rights, European human rights and UK law. So you have a complete right to believe whatever you like. Nobody can interfere with your thoughts or try and control them. So for example, you could believe in murder for, let's say, even although murder is unlawful, but you only have the right to manifest your belief if it's protected. So you only have the right to act out in accordance with what you believe if your right if your belief is protected. And beliefs are only protected if they have this level of cogency or they're clear and logical and convincing, serious and important. So murder would not be protected. So you don't have the right to act out murder. But veganism is protected. So we have the right to live in accordance with our beliefs. Um, and the way we live in accordance with our conviction that it's wrong to use and kill unnecessarily non-human animals is generally by avoiding participating in that or consuming animal products. So the government has an obligation to ensure that we are able to live by that conviction. And that applies to all state entities, hospitals, schools, prisons, care homes, parliament itself, local authorities, councils. It also extends to some extent beyond state entities because the government has an obligation to ensure and has to pass any laws that are necessary to make that happen. Um, so even beyond the state context. And the only limits that they can put on our right to act in accordance with our beliefs is if they set those limits down in law and there are laws that are necessary to protect public health, safety, order, uh, or the fundamental freedoms of others. So they've got to be able to justify it. If they're going to restrict our ability to live in accordance with our beliefs, they have to be able to justify it. And it also has to be proportionate. It's to go no further than is necessary to achieve that aim. So to put that into context, if we take an example, you've got a patient in hospital who's vegan and they're reliant on hospital food while they're staying there. And if the hospital doesn't provide food that's suitable for vegans, then they're not able to live according to their conviction while they're staying there. So a vegan in that position would have a potential claim under this human right. And if it went before a court, court would say, well, yes, you have that right, but we've got to balance that with everyone else's rights. Let's look at what it is that the state is trying to achieve by providing food for everyone. And we'll give them some leeway because they're the state. So we'll assume that they know best how to balance these things out and then we'll decide whether or not there's been a breach. And a case like that went to the European Court of Human Rights where there was a Polish prisoner and the Polish government had not provided vegan food. And he said, well, you're breaching my rights. And the Polish government said, well, we appreciate you have these rights, but on balance, it would be too burdensome for us to provide vegan food. So we've got to provide food for everyone. It's got to be cost effective and so on. And the European Court of Human Rights said no, it would not be too burdensome for you to provide vegan food, and so you must do that. So that's an example of how that would play out. 
And it, similarly, it'd be difficult, I think, for any UK prison, hospital, school, care home, or local authority to, to really justify refusing to provide vegan food on the basis that it would be too burdensome, particularly because there are so many who are doing it and are doing it well. And because vegan food could be said to be inclusive because generally everyone can eat it um, and it doesn't cause problems in terms of other food restrictions. And the same approach could be taken for non-food items such as employer uh, work safety clothing. So the other thing to note is that the government has an obligation to ensure this right to live according to your beliefs without distinction. So that means that to the extent that they protect religious beliefs, they need to also extend that same protection to vegan beliefs. So to the extent that a state entity is catering for religious food needs, they should be providing for vegans to the same extent. And that can be quite useful in specific contexts where you're negotiating with someone. Another right that I think is really important that hasn't really been used at all is the right of parents to have respect for their philosophical convictions by state educators. So <clears throat> this applies not only to the core education process, but to every function in the sphere of education, including ancillary functions. Um, so for example, you might remember quite a long time ago now, there was a Scottish couple who took a claim to the European Court of Human Rights on the basis that corporal punishment using physical violence against their children in school was a breach of their philosophical convictions that you shouldn't be violent to children. That was under this, this right. And the European Court of Human Rights said, yeah, we agree. Your, your philosophical conviction that it's wrong to inflict violence on children is protected and the state is in breach. And that led to the outlawing of corporal punishment in state schools in the UK. Now in the same way, the vegan philosophical conviction that it's wrong to use and kill non-human animals is protected. And so vegan parents have that protection and their, their children should not be educated in a way that is in breach of that. And that's, I think, something to keep in mind for situations like dairy farmers being invited into school to talk to kids and to promote dairy and tell them that this is what we should all be doing. Um, representation of animals as things in our textbooks using animals in class and some of the school trips that, that they tend to take kids on. All of these things, I would say, are, are open to challenge. So that's our human right, our human right to freedom of conscience and belief. Now, separately and in addition to that, we've got the right to equality and freedom from discrimination. And this means that the government must prohibit discrimination based on philosophical beliefs. And the UK government's accepted, again, that veganism is a philosophical belief. And this applies to the public or government bodies that we mentioned before, the hospitals and schools and prisons and so on. But importantly, it extends beyond that and it applies to all employers, whether state or private. And it applies to all um, private service providers. So it includes restaurants, hotels and bars, private housing associations and so on. So what's prohibited? Firstly, direct discrimination, which means when you, a vegan is treated less favorably because they're vegan. 
So for example, a job advert which says vegans should not apply. This surprisingly <coughs> happened a few months ago. It's very rare to see direct discrimination like this, but there was an NHS trust in London and they were advertising for an occupational therapist to help with people with anorexia. And they said vegans need not apply. And when you looked at the more detailed description, they said um, this position is not suitable to a restrictive diet. Which comes back to my original point that a lot of these issues arise because of a misunderstanding about what veganism is. And so when they were challenged by people who pointed out veganism is not a restrictive diet, it's a fundamental conviction. Um, the situation I think was that the therapy was to involve sitting down with the patient and eating high fat, high risk meals as they were seen as. And the idea being that a vegan couldn't do that. But of course, as we know, there's a vegan version of everything and you can be a vegan junk food person as well as you can be a whole, base, whole food based person. So they would not have been able to justify that and they changed their advert pretty quickly when it was challenged. Indirect discrimination is where you have a neutral policy that applies to everyone, but the way it impacts on vegans, it discriminates against them, it disadvantages them because they're vegan. So for example, if an employer was to provide free food for everyone, but they didn't include a, a, an option that was suitable for vegans, that wouldn't be directly discriminating the vegan. They haven't singled them out and said, because you're vegan, we treat you differently. But their neutral policy has impacted on the vegan because of their beliefs. So that's indirect discrimination. Um, harassment is where a vegan endures unwanted conduct related to their beliefs, like um, an intimidating or hostile or humiliating environment, basically being picked on or bullied because of your veganism. And victimization, and what you say about harassment actually is, it's not the intention of the person doing it that matters, it's how the person is made to feel that matters. Uh, victimization is where the vegan who's being bullied says, goes to the employer and says, this is going on, you need to help me stop this, and they're victimized as a, as a consequence, they're treated uh, badly because of doing that. But I have a couple of exceptions. So for direct discrimination, it is permissible to say vegans need not apply, if there's a genuine occupational requirement, and again, go back to the NHS situation, they couldn't have shown that because there just wasn't. And it's very difficult to think of a job where being non-vegan is genuinely a requirement of the job. It's easy to think of some jobs that vegans would not want to do, but that's different to saying you need not apply. Indirect discrimination is permissible if the neutral policy is justified by the legitimate aim so, you know, we've got to feed everyone and we only have this budget. Um, but it ha you have to also show that the, the means of achieving the aim are proportionate and necessary. So this comes back to the, that idea we talked about earlier of is it unduly burdensome for them to accommodate the vegan requirements? <clears throat> so there's another case that went to the European Court of Human Rights where there was a prisoner who had to work in a print shop as part of the prison rota of work. And he said, this is discriminatory against me because I'm vegan. The inks are not suitable for vegans. And so I don't want to work in the print room. And his case failed for a number of reasons. But on one of the grounds was that this was a neutral policy with a legitimate aim. The prison was trying to keep everyone occupied and whatever other reasons that they gave for having this work quota. And everyone just needed to get involved. But I think there were other issues with that case that meant it went against him the impact of using inks is very different to the impact of not having food provided for you. 
and it wasn't clear that the Inks weren't vegan, and it wasn't clear that he was vegan. So there were a lot of issues with that case. Um, public sector duty, something else to bear in mind is when you're negotiating with government bodies again, they have the duty not only to not discriminate, but they have a positive duty to eliminate discrimination. They have to try and advance equal opportunity. So whenever they're looking at their policies and setting policies, put them in place, they need to be thinking about that. What can we do to remove this advantage that's currently suffered by vegans? What steps can we take to meet their needs? So it's important to, to keep that in mind as well. So what can you do with all this? Well, we would very much advocate self-help, primarily because there are thousands and thousands of us and we can each be out there making these arguments and having these negotiations and trying to improve things for people. And also because there's very little in the way of support in these areas at the moment. Now, I've put citizens advice on there, but I doubt that they will know about these rights, frankly. Um, the International Vegan Rights Alliance is an alliance of lawyers around the world who are vegan and who are working on these issues. And I'm a representative along with Jeanette Rowley, but there's a limit to what we can do. I mean, that's another volunteer role that I have in addition to this one, and I have a full-time job. So there's a, a real limit to what we're able to do. Um, and then there's the Vegan Society, which does do some advocacy work, but again, there's a limit there. So I think what we firstly need to be doing is trying to help ourselves. So when you encounter one of these situations, I would say don't escalate it immediately if, if that's avoidable. Try and deal with it constructively at first, at least. Um, use it as an opportunity to educate. First of all, make sure they understand what veganism is and what the, what the situation is that you're having to deal with and then try and work with them to resolve that. So demonstrate to them that it's not unduly burdensome for them. Go do the research, post into the Facebook groups and find that non-animal skin boot that could be used as an equivalent for the health and safety boot and take it to them and say, look, it's here. You know, it's, it's a case of ordering. Okay, you might order them in bulk and this is a one-off purchase, but it's not that hard. If they say to you, well, it's way more expensive, you might say, well, I'm prepared to pay the difference. You know, there's, there's compromises that you can come to there and, and a lot can be done. Um, and the other thing to say is that I'm writing a book about this at the moment with Jeanette Rowley and um, I'm hopeful that it'll come out in the next few months and it will have in it template letters. It will be free and there will be template letters in it that you'll be able to use when you're in these situations. So if you're having discussions with a school because they're not providing for a vegan child, um, if you're experiencing discrimination at work, whatever the particular context, we'll have different letters for different situations so that you can just copy and paste into your own email, add your own facts, and the law will all be kind of set out for you. Um, so we'll be posting about that on the Go Vegan Scotland page when that comes out. And I think that's the only other thing to mention, other than that, if, as I said, if you're not yet vegan, we have a stall outside, and please come and have a chat to us. So if you have any questions, I have no idea what time it is. Oh, I think we have five minutes for questions. Is there any? Hi. How do you, this is Robert, how do you start up? How do you know about legal services? Um, well, they're, two, they're really separate. I mean, I, I was a solicitor before I was vegan. Um, and, you know, it, my job is not vegan rights. My job is just, you know, commercial law. Um, but I have a personal interest in this, obviously, with 
with the volunteer work in Govian, Scotland, and then um, I offered to help the, the Vegan Society on a pro bono basis, and they put me in touch with Jeanette Rowley, and, and it's all kind of evolved from there. But I, I think we're realising that there's more and more need for it, because there are particular situations, especially where children are in care, for example, and they're not being supported. Um, bullying situations, um, I think kids in school are quite vulnerable, not only with other kids, but with teachers as well, who don't understand it. And we're seeing, we get a lot of referrals at the IBRA, and we're seeing that there's um, different types of discrimination often overlap. So, you know, somebody experiencing bullying because of their veganism is also being sexually harassed, or, you know, they're, they're often, it's not only one type of discrimination, which we often overlap. Any other questions? Has it become a, a global issue? Because years ago it happened, and I sometimes hear from global networks that parents sometimes come to clash with social services if they're leaving the vegan diet. Yeah. Like, I mean, there was a case in New Zealand where the children were taken away. Yeah. Because the in-laws didn't agree with the diet of the family. I think that's still happening in some places, although I would be cautious because I think there's a lot of misreporting. Mm. And a few months ago, there were a couple of cases that were. Um, really prominent in the news from Italy mm -hmm. and the the headlines were you know vegan baby starving is taken yeah. away from his parents and when you looked at the story in more detail that they were not vegan as a family and the baby was not being fed vegan he was not being fed properly um, but and I think plant milk was involved for some reason but it wasn't veganism yeah. so um, but yeah I, I, I am aware of cases even in the UK where not necessarily where children are taken away because of it, but where the family is not supported in it, and there's a broader context to it, and the veganism doesn't help. Yeah. As veganism starts to increase, is there a spare campaign coming from dairy and meat industry that you see more of that? Or is... Yeah. Well, at the moment, we're seeing it a lot in Northern Ireland. Well, no, sorry, in Ireland and in the UK. In Ireland, it's the Real Natural campaign. Um, where it's an ad campaign, I don't know if you've seen this, one of their adverts is on billboards and it says, um, if you're looking for a plant-based option, just look in your fridge. And so they're representing cow's milk as plant milk. It's a very strange one. Um, it's almost as if they're trying to benefit from the, the good uh, connotations with plant-based, but at the same time, in other ads, they're, they're Kind of undermining vegans and they have a bunch of adverts they've come out publicly and said they're marketing person we're targeting young women because they're mainly the ones who are going away from cow's milk so we're going to specifically target them and the way we're going to do that is by running these ads that are kind of appealing to them where there's young girls uh, doing yoga and there's a, a young girl who's about maybe eight who's the, the she's the interviewer kind of thing in the in the picture so you've got this older girl who's ordering a latte uh, she's ordering a, a, a plant milk latte and the young girl is saying to her, you know, what's that all about? Have you checked how many ingredients there are in there? And so she looks at it and she's like, oh, 12. Oh, no, I'll just have a normal latte. You know, it's all this sort of stuff. So I think they're getting quite smart with it. I mean, I think that's a smart campaign. It's a horrible campaign, but I think it's quite great to, you know, that is the area, the, the age range. I mean, people are going vegan at all ranges, but I think that in that particular age range, you're seeing it a lot. But... The problem, I think, one of the problems, going back to what Patrick was saying earlier, is that a lot of people who call themselves vegan are not vegan, 
and they are eating plant-based and they're doing that for health or for whatever other reason. And if, if a campaign like that undermines their confidence in the health aspect, then they may easily give it up. And a lot of the YouTubers, for example, who are out there peddling it on a, on a health basis, peddling plant-based, and their understanding of nutrition is limited or you know, they really don't have the backup, when, when people who've gone to it for that reason and for following those types of people start to question their credibility, then you could really see a change. And that, that's another reason I think this is a, it's a horrible campaign, but it, it makes sense. And then there's a UK campaign that is the Ministry of Dairy and Wholesome Related something. I mean, it's, they've got um, an insignia, you know, like the government insignia. And this is there, they've got a YouTube campaign, it's all over Facebook. And so the, the dairy industry said a few months ago, we're gonna spend, can't remember how many millions on this, and that's, they're starting to do it, and it'll run through next year. So yeah, I think we better finish up because the next talk is coming on. Okay. Thank you.